Shut every, there you go. Okay. All right, so we've been talking about the, the importance of truth-telling. Uh, we've done that for the last couple weeks, and this is basically, hopefully, just wrapping up, but in some ways, um, uh, opening a can of worms. But I think it's these kind of exercises are just helpful to us um, as we try to think about God's law. So the question is, is it ever right to lie? To lie? Okay. And if you want a divisive question, that's a good one to ask, right? Because on, uh, well, I, maybe I should just see if there's any, um, there are a couple positions that you can have. One is that it's always wrong. Second position is that it is wrong, always wrong in itself, okay, in itself, uh, but there are other more important factors, and this will tell us, like, um, are there some laws that trump other laws? Like, you know, could they ever be pitted in contrast with each other? And then the third is that it is right in some situations. Um, So, uh, just for um, initial thoughts, um, John, what, what option would you have here? Yeah, so this is probably where Sproul is, yeah, here, okay, uh, let's see, uh, pick on elders first, Clark, where are you? Look, we already got Joe with the mic, go ahead, bring it to him, Joe's here for three weeks and we've got him running the mic already, that's good. <laughs> I, I would think that uh, number two makes... Or, or that, that seems to line up with what I have understood all these years. <clears throat> if our common law is based on 
on the Bible, and we're not required to testify against ourselves. In that sense, uh, we're not uh, telling the truth, if you will, when I asked. That's a great, that's a good example right there, yeah. Okay, so uh, uh, so we got two, two people here, two of your elders kind of here. Um, Okay, so, um, well, we'll get to the examples of splitting that here, but, um, so Rahab, was she correct in not telling the truth to the Ninevites, or was she, she, because she's obviously commended by scripture, but is she commended because of her faith in, you know, uh, God's promises, siding with God. That's what she's commended for. She's not really commended for the means that she uses. So she actually maybe did something wrong by lying. If she had enough faith, she wouldn't have had to lie at all. She would have just said, I'm not answering you. Kill me if you want. Whatever. You know, she could have had another option. Um, But she, so this case is, we're not ready to call it correct that she lied, but we're also uh, not ready to condemn her outright. Her, her siding with Israel was more important uh, than lying in that situation, than telling the truth. That's different than the position that she was actually correct to lie to the Ninevites. See, they say those are slightly different um, so the, this is basically a case that there, the, well, I don't want to get all my example, but this is, ba- the second option is basically there's no correct uh, response. Um, that's a good question. Yeah, that's a, (laughs) so, okay, so, so yeah, so this is, so you've got a couple, um, uh, there's, yeah, so, so far people landing here, uh, but does anybody want to land here or here? Yeah, Augustine was here, uh, a guy by the name of John Murray, modern guy, or 20th century, um, he has a book called Principles of Conduct, and uh, he's, you know, he, he kind of just says that it's always wrong, period, so, um, oh, let's see, uh, let's get a couple ladies in on this, um, uh, Erica, where do you stand? I know she, I saw her shaking her head and putting her head down. Where, where are you, Erica? On this? I haven't told you where I am yet. So, oh, good. She's late. So she, so I'm just, she's telling us I'm the just, truth. Just she's confessing truthfully that this. she was late. Um, <laughs> okay, we'll the, make her I, answer. I just heard your example about Rahab, and I actually, I kind of may have thought that that was an instance where she was commended for what she did until uh-huh. you said that right there. So that's the first time I'd ever um, considered that. So it you, did, you were here, right. but just in that short amount of time, yeah. you might be up here. <laughs> I, that might have that made me think differently about that. Uh-huh. Um, okay. So. All right. Um, 
uh, <laughs> Ryan's like, over here, Susan wants to answer. <laughs> He's pointing at you, Susan. <laughs> so, wait one second. I just want, first off, you've got to make a choice where you want to be here. Well, it seems to me it's a difference between principle and practice. I would say lying in principle is always wrong. However, if you have somebody uh, like Rahab, uh, you know, she was commended for what she did. Uh, and yes, had she been a different person, she could have resisted unto death. Uh-huh. But that is dependent on the situation and the individual. Okay. So you're also right here then. You're, you're in number two, I take it. Number two says that lying is wrong, but because there are other factors involved, um, it, it was in the context um, an acceptable choice to lie. Is but, that referred to as the hierarchical position? Pro, that, that's, I think I've heard it or okay. thought of that way. So Where there's like certain levels of mm-hmm. good and evil where you... If you're familiar with Reform guys, Riken fits into this camp. Um, so I fall into this camp. All right, all right, before we, I, sorry, Ken, I, you'll have time, you'll have time, trust me. Like I said, I'm going to try to get through this without, um, <laughs> okay, um, is a parable a lie? Okay, why is it, so, but is it, is it, um, um, so could we all accept that a parable is not a lie? Okay, or you, do you think it's a lie? Well, it depends on how you lie. It doesn't mean to deceive. Yes, it does in certain situations. <laughs> so he's already, so like Jesus told the parable, with the intention, the motivation, of actually not giving the truth to those who don't have ears to hear. So here's Jesus deceiving, using a parable. And he's the God of truth. (laughs) Huh? He does it to, so that people will not understand the truth. Okay. Okay. Go ahead, give it to Clark, let him have... I always defer to my elders to have... (laughs) Now, what you said is right, but it is God who gives a man a heart and understanding uh, so that he is able to receive what Christ teaches. So Christ has taught the truth, but uh, a man that hasn't been blessed by God to to receive Christ by faith won't receive that truth at all. Okay, good. Okay, so... Um, how about a hyperbolic statement? Do you know what a hyperbolic statement is? Hyperbole? 
Does the Bible ever use hyperbole? Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear that? He says, uh, you must hate your mother and father. That's hyperbole. Okay. That's correct. Okay. All right. Um, uh, in Luke twenty four twenty eight, let's go there. Uh, give that to your dad, Joe. He can read it if he's got it. Luke 24, what? Uh, 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. That's good. What does Jesus do? He pretends he's going farther. Is that not a, a deceitful action? Does Jesus intend to be with these guys? But he... <laughs> so, so here's the solution. Let's shrink what it means to lie, right? Let's make it smaller. And, that, and that's, it's true because that comes to... Let's turn to Luke 10. Jesus is talking with a guy, and he's trying to he's trying to get, I'm not a breaker of the law. And so in verses 29 and 30, about the Lori Pate. No, I mean it's it, this is this is why trying to work out the law is very challenging. <laughs> Go but, ahead. 29-30. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus. And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Okay, so the reason why this is a good one is because the situation of lying, the commandment says, You shall not bear false testimony against your neighbor. Right? That's the, that's the command. It's not just don't ever lie. So, so here, but you can see how, how due to our own self-justification, because I don't want to, I want to get away with not telling the truth. In this situation, it was get away with not loving. But uh, the, the guy shrinks what his neighbor is. So we have to be really careful, right? Because you don't want to just say, oh, well, I don't like so-and-so, so I'm going to lie to him. I mean, that would be like a really wrong thing to do, just as Jesus is telling this guy to to not love a Samaritan is is really really bad. That's that's a, that's a breach of the command, right? And don't try to just shrink down who a neighbor is and who is not a neighbor. So that's it's very important to us that we not do this. Um. So in this in the situation of the uh, good Samaritan, the Samaritan is thought of as an enemy. And Jesus basically says, no, he's not an enemy. Okay, so that's, he's correcting 
in the heart of this guy um, that he's, he's just, oh, I don't have to love enemies, <laughs> right? So we could say the same thing. I don't have to tell the truth to my enemies, and we could just shrink down what it means to be an enemy, and that would be very bad, right? So we don't want to do that. Um, but there are situations in Scripture where it really, 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 really looks like they've done the right thing by lying. So, midwives in Egypt. Okay? What do the midwives do? How do they lie? They said they had the babies before they could get there. So they couldn't kill them. That's right. That's an outright lie. We've already talked about Rahab's deception. That was a lie. How about Joshua in the ambush on Ai? He actually does a feint. You know, act like you're fighting here, come around the other side, fight there. That's a deception. Right? And who commands him to do that? If you look at Joshua 8, 3 through 8, you'll find out that God actually commands the means. The plan is God's plan. He does, God doesn't say just conquer I. He actually gives them the plan, and the plan includes a feint. Is God allowed to lie? I'm just saying, I mean, the, the point is, is he above his law? Or can we say that maybe he had higher factors? I mean, could God not have just wiped out I in a, in a way that didn't use deception? He's certainly all-powerful. Huh? <laughs> X-Lex, go ahead, Joe. There's also a passage in 1 Kings, it's 1 Kings chapter 22. Yes. Are, are you going there? I am. Okay, I'll look <laughs> So, <laughs> So then, um, Samuel misleads Saul as to the reason for his mission. Turn to 1 Samuel 16. If you know the context of this, Samuel had anointed David. He's getting ready to go anoint David, right? And he's got to tell Saul what he's doing. So what does he say? And we'll give this to Lee Irwin. She looks like she's ready to read. Read verses 1 through 5, Lee. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have re rejected him from being king over Israel? Will your horn fill your horn with oil and go... I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So technically, he is, does, is doing a sacrifice, so he's not lying. But he certainly is not being truthful with Saul at his intention. And who gave him the plan? God did. 
okay? It's 1 Kings 22. Nineteen through twenty-three. Um, somebody want to read that? Raise your hand, Joe. I'll give you the mic. Oh, Lord, will do it again. Good. And Micaiah said, "Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on His throne, and all the host of heaven standing beside Him, on His right hand and on His left." And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? And one said one thing, and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, By what means? And he said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the, lo- in the mouth of his prophets. And he said, you are to entice him, and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Is that the uh, One more? Last one, 23, yeah. Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. Okay. So we can, we can argue, and I would argue that God, who's up here, can use intermediary... Like he uses Satan to kill Jesus. You know, he can use without himself being tarnished by that, right? I mean, he's, he's sovereign over uh, Satan's activity to try to just enter Judas, enter Pilate, you know, that kind of thing. He's sovereign over that, so he's in control. But the, the fact of the matter, the scripture tells us here that he puts a lying spirit in the mouth of the prophets. Now, why would God do that? It's a judgment because they wouldn't accept the true prophets, and that gets back to what Clark was talking about with the parables, right? He's, he, God wants to tell his people truth. If they refuse that truth and they don't care about truth, they say, oh, I love the truth, but they really don't love the truth, then he just gives them a lying spirit. But the fact of the matter, he still does it. Do you understand what I'm getting at? So these are, these are all issues. Um, Jeremiah in Jeremiah 38, we won't read this right now for the sake of time, but you can jot it down if you want to go look at it later. In Jeremiah 38, 24 to 28, Jeremiah lies to the princes. Let's turn to 2 Thessalonians 2, 11. Might as well get a New Testament passage in here. 2 Thessalonians 2, 11. Again, God is dealing with people who have rejected his truth. He's not just up there, oh, people want to know the truth and I'm lying to them. But if they have rejected the truth over a period of time, at some point God says, okay, enough's enough. I will just send you a spirit of delusion. And so the the verse says, therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. They, that's right. That's right. So if, if someone is an enemy of the truth, a part of, their, uh, a part of their judgment can actually be leading them down into more and more untruth. 
Okay? Now, that's just, that's a smattering. <laughs> you know, there could be others that, that they're, uh, um, Um, not offhand. Uh, and then the next scene he goes. And that's an issue of timing. Um, I know that's in John, I believe. Uh, what's that? Yeah, mm-hmm. Okay, so, um, Hmm. Let's look at John 1, 14 to 17. <clears throat> uh, I'll just read this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory of as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus himself, we cannot say that he was not full of truth. So when he, when he uh, pretends to go a little bit further, you can't say, aha, he's only partially true. <laughs> um, he is the truth. Um, the law was given, verse 17, law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Um, he is making known the Father who is true. So, uh, you know, we, if, if Jesus were a liar, if he didn't tell us the truth, all religion would be like capsized, right? I mean, we need, the only, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. So that's, that's the idea um, in this. So uh, this argument and, and you have to be careful. You have to think about motivation. Um, all of the commands are based on love, right? So, so it, it, Jesus says to love God and to love your neighbor. That's all the commands. So this really deals with motivation, okay? Um, if your motivation is to harm your neighbor by telling a lie, then that would be against the command to love, right? Um, when you deal with a, a um, uh, Cory ten Boom uh, hiding Jews, uh, she is, um, <laughs> she might not like her captors, she might just be angry at them, but her motivation, I think, is to love those whom she's trying to protect their life. Same thing with the midwives. They are, they're trying to protect life. And if someone is uh, actually trying to harm another person, then, uh, and they are an enemy of the truth, then you do not have the obligation to tell them the truth. That's, that's basically the argument. Otherwise, this position here, basically says that there are situations that you could be in where there is no right response. And that is an untenable position. You have to, I think in everyone's situation, you, you have to think there is a right, there is a wrong. You have to have this 
sense. You can't just um, be in a, in a position that says, well, there's really no right or wrong in this situation. And I think that's, it's just not a, maybe it's philosophy. It's just not a good position to be in. It's almost like you want to jump back and forth. Now, I just want to be in the middle. Well, I think it's better, even though you might justify yourself and say in a situation this is right when it really isn't right, like the Samaritan issue, it is right to say, I believe, that there are certain situations where you do not, you are not even obligated to tell the truth. You could do it in simple situations like playing a game. Are you always forbidden from hiding the truth in a game? No, you're, you're actually supposed to hide the truth in a game, right? Uh, sporting events, you, you, you pitcher, you want the, the, the uh, batter to think you're throwing a fastball when you're throwing a curveball, right? That's, that's a part of You expect that. Why? Because you're in opposition to each other. In a war situation, I mean, think about a spy. You think when the spies went into, um, the 12 spies went into the land, Hey, we're spies. We're really of Israel. We're coming in to conquer the land. Here we are. Do you think that's the way they approached it? Spies are not supposed to be telling the truth. You're supposed to have deception in that. Now, can it get awful scary at times if you're if you're, you know, do you know the difference between truth and a lie because your whole espionage is built on being a, you know, lying and stuff? How difficult that can be? Yes. Yeah. But I think that there, in those situations that there are, it is actually acceptable in, in what God would want you to do to lie in that situation. That's right. That do not murder. That's right. And that's where you thought, well, does the command to murder, is it more important than the command to not? I don't know if I can say that one's better than the other, but at the same time, they all need to somehow fit into this concept of you need to love your neighbor. Right? So, again, this guy here, John Murray, smarter than me, knows a lot more than me. He was in this camp. Fine. If you are in this camp and it's always wrong, you're not a heretic. This camp, I just think, is philosophically untenable, but we all kind of want to live in that. And uh, I think it's a big thing that Sproul wrote this article, and he, most of the people that he uh, lived with were up here, and so he's kind of acquiescing and saying, no, I think it is at least acceptable. And then, hear me, I've just fallen down into the pit of untruth and just say, it's right in some situations, but you better be very careful what your motivation is and... and uh, that you're not just excusing telling a lie for your own benefit, which is really what happens most of the time. We're trying to hide the truth or twist the truth in order to save our own face or to harm somebody else, uh, tear somebody else down, all those kind of things, okay? Yes. Yes. Um, okay, so let's look at the, let's look at, I think... 
even though that maybe many of your um, Westminster writers of the larger catechism would have fallen into camp one, I think that because they are so committed to just looking at all the situations in Scripture, they almost fall into camp three without even realizing it. So if you look at that, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So look at, look at the very beginning. The duties required in the ninth commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth. Okay, that's just preserve and promote truth. But then look at the next thing. And the good name of our neighbor. Can you see how those might be at odds with one another at some point? Remember what I just uh, preached on with Noah? Noah sins, there's something exposed in him, and Ham wants to share it with the world. And that's looked upon as evil. And his other brothers walk in backwards, kind of covering, protecting the good name of Noah. Right? Do you see how, okay, you can see, how do we do both of these things? They can be challenging at times. Later on, it says, speaking the truth and only the truth in matters of judgment and justice and all other things whatsoever. And then again, a charitable esteem of our neighbors. Okay, that go right back to what we were talking about? Like, how do you, how do you think the best about somebody? Instead of, like, thinking the worst. Oh, I'm just, I'm just telling it like it is. You know? John, you're looking... A little peaked today. You know, I'm just telling the truth. You know, just, just telling it like it is, right? But is there any love in my comment? Or am I just willing to tear him down at that moment, right? Um, just uh, a red, a little bit farther down, a ready receiving of a good report and an unwillingness to admit an evil report. Joe comes up to me and says, hey, Mike, hey, did you hear about Ryan? I don't need to hear about Ryan. Thank you, Joe. But it's true. Shouldn't we seek the truth? Right? You see, you know, no, I, no, I really don't need to know that right now. Okay? Um, Again, someone kind of jokingly said this. If your wife tells you, do I look fat in this dress? Okay. Now, um, at least, can we not at least temper when she asks the question, she already thinks and feels like she's fat. She wouldn't ask the question if she didn't, you know, uh, oh, I think I look great. Do I look fat? No. She, she's feeling that way. <sighs> I had one professor said, just lie to her. No, like, like, that didn't sit well with me. But, that, but I do get the fact that, that you should temper your statement based upon, uh, it's more than just mere facts, isn't it? Honey, you look very beautiful to me today. You know, that's not a wrong statement. Go ahead. How about the woman at the well? 
And she says, art thou greater than our father Jacob? And he doesn't even bother to answer her, even though that would have been the truth. Uh-huh. That would have been a good truth. Yeah. But he didn't tell her. At that, yeah. And the very first thing he the very first thing he does is he doesn't just come in and say, Man, you're filthy scumbag. You know, he doesn't even start with that, does he? Even though he knows all the truth. Okay? I'm just trying to help you understand that God does use does God show you all of your sin all at once? Does he does he communicate to you? Uh, based upon his compassion and love for you? Yes. So just just keep that in mind. Yes, we should be truth tellers. We should not be liars. Um, and especially when it's in our personal interest to lie, you better be very, because that is, that is just, it reveals a wicked heart. But at the same time, we should temper uh, our statements with love. I think it's very important. Um, look at look down. Um, I love this uh, on the back. I guess this would be uh, hiding, excusing, or extenuating of sins when called to a free confession. Uh, I'm trying to. This is still on the beginning. Let's see. What is this? This is the. This is the. Uh, sin's forbidden in the ninth commandment. And this is towards the end of it. Uh, I love this. So it's wrong if someone says, I need to know the truth for you to just hide that truth from them if they have a right to know it. But then it's also wrong to have the unnecessary discovering of infirmities. I'm like, what does that even... Like, you don't need to pry into everything. You don't need to know every little detail of everybody's life to be, think that you're untruthful. So, like, do I need to know every single last sin that Christian has ever committed or he's not being truthful with me? No. And I shouldn't even pry into all those. Now, we should have a healthy confession of sins to one another, and you should be truthful in that, but it's not up for the church to know every dark secret of everybody, which by the way is another thing I don't like about internet and Facebook, and you're either like lauding someone to the nth degree, or you're like cutting people down, and I'm just exposing, you know, it's just, ah, do we really need to know this? I really don't want to know every sin that Hunter Biden has committed, okay? Um, That they, that they had a priest that they confessed to? Um, you're saying that this command might be even thinking of opposing it might, could be. Well, I mean, it's certainly the, the idea of having a priest to confess to is a sense of privacy, right? So I'm not required, if you confess to me one of your sins, I am not required to share that with everybody. In fact, I, you, nobody else would confess to me anything if I shared everything, Right? Uh, but then you even have to temper that. Like if somebody shared with me that they committed um, sexual abuse on a minor, yeah, I'm going to go, you know, because why? Love <laughs> tells me for that minor, you got to go expose that, right? So there's this, truth is important. 
but we do have to be careful. Go ahead, Ken. I'll give you your your uh, time to my thirty seconds. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, the, you were just mentioning uh, Hunter Biden and the exposés that are being done on this thing. <clears throat> uh, with many people, like in the world of Hollywood and stuff, you know, you hear all kinds of stuff about all kinds of actors. And there, I would absolutely agree. We don't need to know about all of their personal lives. But in the idea of Hunter Biden and his association with very important and powerful people mm-hmm. and the extent there, I think that there does need to be revelation as to the corruption and perversion of those folks in that kind of circumstance like that. Correct. Is it, a, is it a necessary information? Is it pertinent to us in our current leader? I, I agree. Yeah. But we don't necessarily have to know every... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> That's true. So in the end, uh, on the back side of this, um, kind of the end of this, uh, I love this one, fond admiration. So you can have scornful contempt for somebody, or you can have fond admiration, and I just think that's idol-making. Uh, so, oh, Elvis is perfect, or, you know, um, uh, oh, I hate all Yankees, you know, whatever. You, those are just, both of those are like extremes. You're not supposed to be doing that. Uh, because it's not uh, in the truth. So, anyway, any of these that you have that are um, ones that give you pause or just you want, want further clarification on, uh, you can ask now. <clears throat> you know what? I was I was looking at that this morning. Um, where is that one? Um, it uses 47, uh, Proverbs 5, 8 through 9. <clears throat> Not avoiding, Lee, I don't know. Does anybody else have an idea on that? I'll have to look that up and see if I can find something on that. Anybody have a thought on that one? Ryan? <laughs> it's the one that says not avoiding ourselves. Uh, and I did look at that this morning and I was like, man, I hope nobody asked that one because... <laughs> <laughs> Truth be told, right? I'll tell <laughs> I'll give an apple to anyone that can get that one right to come up with a Yeah, you can read it, but I didn't help me. Did you go ahead and read it, Mary? So like, okay, interpret for how it connects to that that statement. <laughs> okay, just not avoiding ourselves. I don't even know what that what that even means. Um, like, okay. Uh, oh, so like not not avoiding a good report, 
about ourselves. Okay, gotcha. Okay, there you go. Thank you. That, there you go. Does that help you, Lee? No. <laughs> All right, give the microphone to her and let her say that again because I think that's, that actually helps very much. It's too slow. Okay, the way it, it should be read is uh, that we are not to neglect such things are, that as are of good report and practicing or not avoiding ourselves or hindering what we can in others such things as procure and ill name. So we are to avoid and help others to avoid doing things that will give them a bad reputation. There you go. It isn't just not avoiding ourselves. That's right. just part of a larger phrase. Yeah. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. That is very helpful. <laughs> if she wants an apple, I'll give it to her. <laughs> I wasn't expecting the answer that quick, but that was good. Uh, Okay, so again, do we believe in absolute truth? Yes, we believe in absolute truth. And I can see where Clark's, if you, just, if you fall into camp two or three, you begin to say, oh, is truth relative? No, it's not relative. There is a right, there is a wrong, there is truth. Um, but it does take into consideration the situation and the motivation. And I think it is, that's the best place to be in that. So, oh, go ahead. Situational ethics. Mm-hmm. Sorry, and it just, just seems that what we're talking about here is that we go into that. But on the other hand, that there seems to be a very negative element of situational ethics. Right, and that's that's where I I have to. <laughs> I'm indebted to John Frame on this because he says that every ethic has a situation. It it also has a norm. It has to have something that is absolute. Uh, God is truth. He is never untruth. Like a, 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 a Muslim idea of Allah is that he could be true and he could be a liar. doesn't matter. We do not believe in a God that can be a liar. And yet, in some situations, because they don't love the truth, because they hate the truth, he is no longer obligated to continue to give them truth and he can give them a spirit of deception. So you have to take that, that situation or you just make God into, oh, he tells truth when he wants, he lies when he wants. And that's not who God is. He is a God of truth, period. Yes, Susan. Uh, this may, maybe this will, uh, given her the last word, because we're going to move on, maybe this will um, uh, alleviate, I won't have to give her an apple, but go ahead. <laughs> I think the difference is that in situational ethics, the ethic changes with the situation. Mm-hmm. What you're describing is the ethic is always the same. It's the situation that alters the practice. That's a, I think that's, that's well said. Mm-hmm. We are not just situational. We're not relativism. We're not going down the road of that. But we're actually saying that there is a right decision in every situation. So trying to figure that out. Go ahead. It always depends. I just think it's... it's I know. <laughs> Isn't it going to be interesting? I think we'll get up in heaven and talk about these things. But um, we are in the in the uh, in the Pentateuch. In the Pentateuch, you're given the Ten Commandments. 
And then the rest of like Deuteronomy is what we will call case law. And, and then there were judges. And those judges, the very fact that you needed a judge meant that you were taking the absolute norms and you were applying them to specific cases. Right? So, so that's, and so the case law helps you to know how to apply the law in that situation. And God is the supreme judge, right? So when he judges, he knows the, the norm absolutely. He knows the situation absolutely. He knows the heart of the individual absolutely. So when he judges, he judges correctly. He doesn't say, oh, yeah, there really wasn't a good choice in that one, so I guess I can't judge you. No, every situation there is a right and a wrong, and he knows how to, to work that all out. But in, in Israel, they, the judges were called to try to understand the situations and make judgments on things. And however right or wrong they do that, uh, you know, is... is um, because the case law doesn't deal with everything. You can't just go through Deuteronomy and say, oh, every situation is handled. And this is why in our society, what we do is we write 30,000 pages of case laws so that you can narrow it down to the specific situation. And the judge really doesn't make any real judgments. He just says, this is what the law says here, and he just does it, right? But in Old Testament Israel, the judge was supposed to take this case and then rule in another situation accurately. That's, that's what they were called to do. So... <clears throat> Okay, uh, we're just going to, we got five minutes, so we're just going to start the beginning of Thou Shall Not Covet, um, and basically what I want to just do today is that all of the laws we have shown and we've been dealing with this entire class showing that all of the laws have this narrow understanding, but then they have this broad understanding, right? And this broad understanding is like, it, it, do not murder deals with this issue of anger and hatred. And it's so broad, and it's an issue of the heart, right, that, that causes you to murder, uh, lust causes you to want to commit adultery, all those kind of things. But, but that being said, even though all the commandments deal with the heart, the 10th commandment only deals with the heart. Right? It's the one that just says, thou shalt not covet. And like you can't even see, I mean, Bill, you could be coveting right now. And I don't know if you're coveting. <laughs> Right, and so this one just gets at the heart explicitly, uh, which I think is really—it's called the commandment of the heart. Uh, and so, if you if you did in the other nine commandments start to look at those commandments only in their outward factual sense, then the tenth commandment says. Uh, no, you're, you're, not, you're not treating those commandments correctly. You, you, have to, um, you have to understand that the commandments deal with what's going on 
in the heart. And it basically says that the inner desires are evil. That's basically what it's saying. And that is pretty profound to say that. Our law, our civil law, doesn't judge people based upon the inner desires. Can't do it. Because we don't know the inner desires all half the time. But God does judge on that. And that's the... That's where we're getting at um, with this commandment. Uh, let's just let's just just look at James one, thirteen through fifteen, and this will just we'll end with this. And James one thirteen through fifteen, Mary Dunn, would you read that right here, Joe? <clears throat> Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. I like this for two reasons. One, because it definitely speaks of a, uh, a digression, right? It's getting worse. It's moving downward. It doesn't just say um, that the evil desire within is the same thing as the committing of the sin. It doesn't make them absolutely the same. To be angry with someone is not the exact same thing as actually murdering them. But it does call this desire... What? Calls it evil. Right? So this gets back to, um, I mean, all kinds of applications. You know, if you have a desire for adultery, that's evil. If you have a desire for homosexuality, that's evil. If you have a desire for somebody else's house, that's evil. You know, it actually gets, these things are evil. Right? They are in themselves reflecting to you that, that sin is not just an action that you do. It, it, it flows from a source within you, and that is the corrupt and evil heart, which gets at the very heart of the gospel, that we don't just want to change our outward behavior. We actually want to be changed in the core of your heart. That's what we're asking God to do. And that's what's so frustrating to us because John, although I might think John is a great guy, on the level of his desires inwardly, he knows he still has that corrupt heart. He knows it. And before God, he needs the gospel. And even though God has already given him a new heart in Christ, the old heart is still there. And it's not any really any better. And so even as a Christian, You can have these glorious new desires to be holy, and then you also have these like really, really wicked desires inside of you. (laughs) They're there. And I think that our society needs to, to, um, the church has to do better explaining to people that that's the case. 
that we shouldn't say that being a Christian is absolutely never having evil desires because we all have them. So we'll get more on this next week. But, but this is the idea of getting at coveting. It's getting at the core. It's what I'm looking forward to when I get to glory, when I absolutely have no evil desires whatsoever. Won't that be a glorious day? Um, so let me just pray for us. Father, help us as we come to the closing, this last commandment, doing it next week, maybe the two weeks, I don't know, as we get to the last commandment, that we would be ever more thankful for the gospel. And we would be ever more thankful for the work of the Spirit to give us a new heart. Um, And we would keep our eyes fixed on Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.